Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Living free. Ah, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Hi, I'm Bill, and with my show co-host Mitch, I would like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. We pay our respects to their elders past and present, and acknowledge that this land was stolen and that sovereignty was never ceded. Each week on the Living Free Show... We showcase one of the many programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Um, My guest today is a compulsive drinker who's recovering with the help of Alcoholics Anonymous. So I'd like to welcome Greg to the show. Hi, Greg. Hi, Bill and Mitch. How are you going? Good. Thank you. Um, Hi, Mitch. Good to have you here. Hello. I'm here as well. Good day, Bill. Greg, you were on the show back in 2019, um, so I guess we'd love to hear a bit more about your recovery journey, but we usually start talking about growing up, uh, where your drinking took you, and why you got into AA. So do you want to start telling us about your, your early life and um, and the things that influenced you to take the path you took? Yeah, sure. Um, so <clears throat> as I've said in a, a, a previous podcast, um, I'm, I'm a son of an alcoholic as well as uh, being an alcoholic myself, and... Not that that specifically influenced me. I wasn't sort of drawn to it because of that. That, if anything, that should have put me off. Um, but uh, in in my uh, throughout my life, I've always been sort of quite uh, competitive as far as drinking goes. I, I don't know what it is. I, I, you know, I I always used to sort of take great pleasure in, in drinking more than anybody else and being able to drink people under the table and stand when everyone else is falling out around them and and it seemed to be a badge of honor and it, and um while i you know didn't start out uh full-time drinking all the time and it was it was more sort of um living for the weekend is probably the best way to put it and and, and i mean this started early in my school days probably 13 14 and onwards between friends and i and we would maybe on a friday night manage to go down to uh, cycle down to a, a country pub that would actually serve us um and uh, not ask too many questions but as that went on and you know you kind of grow up and in living in the uk at that time especially in the 80s and 90s it was very hedonistic as far as drinking and uh, smoking and uh, you know lots and lots of different activities like that uh, and, and taking drugs as well um so it was it just seemed like the natural thing to go out and, yeah. and you go out you go out to uh you know to get to get slaughtered basically you don't you don't go out for a quiet drink i know and i think in throughout my my drinking career so to speak um i've never had a quiet drink i've never um i've never done it quiet you know and i was always known later on as as my drinking progressed if you came out with me um you know a, a quiet night in for me would would see people really really in a bad way a night out with me might put you in the hospital yeah right. <laughs> and uh greg when you when you talk about that um competitiveness within yourself when mm. it came to drinking and getting slaughtered and whatnot how do you think the drinking culture of the uk kind of played into that and, and you know geeing each other on and that kind of thing it's 
it's, it's hard to explain now. Um, thinking back to to that time and thinking back and, and thinking to these days, uh, you know, a lot of the the graduates that I deal with um, uh, in my work and, and my life and things like that, they I tell I tell them the mild stories and they're horrified. Yeah. They're really horrified. Yeah. They're, really, you did that. But this was this was what it was like, and and the drinking culture in the UK was tremendous. I I, I can't really explain it. I, I drove through my hometown back in 2018 in winter, and it was a different place. It was you know the bars were were very you know um, they just weren't populated. They were whereas you would see people out in the street either drunk barely dressed, fighting, you know, mm. all sorts of things. Now it seems to be quite sedate. It's mm. a, it seems to be a different generation. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Probably for the best. Right. Yeah. Um, so were you underage drinking? Oh, yes. In pubs, yeah. So in the UK, it's 18. But, you yeah. know... Um, yeah, I mean, probably from 13, 14. And, you know, it started out probably nicking um, uh, homemade wine from my friend's yeah. dad's garage, you know, yeah. and, and then progressing from there, really. Yeah. And uh, what was the process of uh, finding a bar that would serve you uh, as an underage person? Did you have to shift around a little bit or? A, a little bit, but there was one in particular I can think of, which was called The Victory, and it was right on uh, – um, uh, uh, it, it was a country pub, and it was out in, uh, on a um, – uh, train crossroads and they didn't seem to be too bothered about asking too many <coughs> questions as long as you behaved you, we, yeah. we, we learned very quickly you mm. it, it didn't matter how young you were and all the rest of you if you start messing about you will get turfed you mm. know yeah so what about friendships the interesting thing with with alcoholics and the way they drink is mm. that eventually you drink solo but starting off you tend to be a social animal um Oh, no, absolutely, and and I would say maybe uh, generation-wise, sort of the 80s and 90s, and 90s in particular, very hedonistic, and you know it didn't matter how studious you were, how good you were. Everybody, to, to my mind, everybody was drinking, smoking marijuana, going out, you know, and causing a little bit of mayhem. But in reality, I realise now that it was my circle of friends. Not everybody did this, you know, but. It seemed that way at the time, um, but there was a lot of people doing, you know, even even sort of very quiet people would go out and it would be a very laddish thing to do and, and, and get, um, and you'd call it larrikin sort of stuff over here, but, yeah. <clears throat> um, and we would, but my drinking became different as in, you know, uh, what, what seemed to be a bit of fun and living for the weekend, my weekend grew and grew, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah. What sort of effect did it have on your being a student at that point oh do you know i uh, i bombed out being a student um, <laughs> <laughs> um the, i think um i did try it i did try it but um yeah my i was quite uh, lazy i'll be honest at that time and it was not that i wasn't capable i've later really you know yeah. realized uh, having sort of taken uh qualifications outside of you know within within my sort of uh, field of uh, my industry and things like that but uh, I, I'm, I'm quite a smart guy when I put my mind to it and I always was but mm. I just didn't want to put my mind to it all the effort to be yeah. fair. And uh, what specifically about the drinking um, incapacitated you in regards to your studies was it the hangovers <clears throat> and then you know you were in a state and you didn't want to study? Um, I think I'll, I'll be honest I, I'm not 100% certain but I think it's a combination of the fact that um, yes I was lazy but there's, there was also my dad got into recovery around that time and there was a lot of anger and a lot of uh, resentment and a lot of pain around that where I wasn't 
I, you know, my, my dad got sober. Everyone's patting him on the back going, yeah, you know, go Campbell. Well done. And I was not on board with it at all. I, I was still very angry and carrying all this resentment and so on. And, you know, I, I, I'll be honest, I think I had my head up my bum, you know, as a, as a teenager, as many yeah. do. Mm. You know. <laughs> and, um, yeah, what was it like, you know, did you feel any any semblance of guilt? Everyone else is p- patting him on the back. You can't kind of join in on that. How did you kind of no. you bottle that up? And- um, no guilt whatsoever. I, absolute anger. Um, uh, you know, there, there'd been a um, – not that – I don't want to give the, the wrong impression. He wasn't – beating me merciless and all the rest but he wasn't present as a, as a father should be uh, the, the the way he should be and uh, was a miserable so-and-so really miserable so-and-so but then you know that was part of his experience with drinking and I being the eldest child um, I probably wore the, the brunt of it and there were there were a couple of fights both verbal and and physical and the older I got the bigger I got the more I felt like I could you know um uh, participate in that and, and in the worst way the most negative way which uh, you yeah. know i i've now resolved much later on in life um and you know my father and i before he passed um we we spoke about it quite a bit and and resolved things but at the time that was that was how i felt how old yeah. you uh were you when your father passed Oh, uh, he passed in 2017, end of 2017. So, but, uh, you know, he'd been sober for nearly 30 years. Okay. So, yeah. I feel like at the time that's, that's quite normal when you're younger as well. You know, <laughs> speaking of having, having your head up your ass, you know, you kind of <laughs> think you are the center of your own universe and uh, you're figuring out a lot of those kinds of feelings Yeah. at the time for sure. Yeah. So how did you go with the relationships and drinking? Um, I think at the beginning when everybody else is to some degree drinking heavily around you and, and things like that, you know, even if it's just on weekends and, and then sort of behaving themselves the rest of the week, there's this, you know, there's this lifestyle. And, and there's a in my late teens, early 20s, everyone's prepared to put up with an awful lot because it's funny. And there was a lot, I'm, you know, I've got a million crashing and bashing stories. Yeah. And so and, and and they didn't seem humiliating at the time. They seem even now they seem hilarious. But when you're into your late 20s, early 30s, yeah. it becomes very humiliating. You know, you're, you're not given the same uh, latitude that you would be given as a younger person. And, um, uh, you know, it starts to become a problem. Other people realize that, you know, you know I, I start watching, watching other people who seemed much more mature than me, even though they're the same age, getting serious with their life. They were getting uh, they were getting girlfriends, getting engaged, getting married, getting, uh, you know, careers, getting a, a house, maybe doing some traveling and maybe having a kid and things like that. And I was still, you know, incredibly immature and let's party you know what's wrong with you let's you know not realizing that it was my problem that was taking over and was it a gradual thing that you realized the latitude of being in your late 20s and perhaps needing to integrate yourself into the serious seriousness of life like other people around you or was it like you woke up one morning and realized no, it's definitely a gradual thing. Although there is there is that element of waking up and you kind of have a, you know, a, a eureka moment. <laughs> a sneaking suspicion. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, um, but, you know, people would, um, after a while, people would, they would come out with me from time to time. But, you know, it's like they would have to save up. <laughs> that not just the money but the but the um yeah. the constitution yeah, to, emotional currency even. well yeah you, you know they can only do a hangover a little bit i i didn't feel hangovers every day because i felt crap all the time 
you know if you're drinking on a daily basis and i was what you describe as a functioning alcoholic i could get up at 6 a.m go to work hold down a job but i'd already decided i was going to write myself off by eight o'clock in the evening Mm. so and and so you know that gets expensive if you're going to bars that's way more expensive so you start going to the alternative which is supermarkets and getting getting bottles and then drinking at home and that becomes very lonely very isolating and yeah. uh yeah you 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 start uh, it's a self-imposed isolation from friends and family and and uh, you know i i'm not saying i didn't drink drive i did on a number of occasions and and uh, but i really tried to mitigate my drinking by saying i won't leave the house at eight o'clock I won't I won't answer the phone at eight o'clock because I didn't want to talk to friends and family and go, mm. Craig, you sound weird. What's going on? You know, mm, yeah. and I'm slurring my words and I'm just I mean, thank God that Facebook and social media didn't exist back then. Yeah. <gasps> the things I would have said, <laughs> you know, it's almost like you're regulating it almost. You know, I will write myself off tonight, but I'm not going to drive mm. after a certain time. You kind of trying to reel those feelings back in. And absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, there was a certain. I think, you know, you, you judge other people a bit like sort of uh, the, the typical person uh, will sort of say that the average alcoholic would be in their minds, the stereotypical person on the park bench with a paper bag and hiding the bottle. Yeah. We're so so much more complex and varied than that. And um, and I think but, you know, in my height of drinking, I would still have said I'm a heavy drinker, not a mm. I just enjoy it, you know, yeah. rather than I I'm absolutely at its mercy. You know. Yeah, yeah. So, um, one of the things you mentioned before was um, being a functional alcoholic, mm-hmm. and I think most alcoholics are functional alcoholics. Very few you see. You know, you, uh, I can say almost unequivocally, everybody knows an alcoholic, but they just don't know who it is, <laughs> um, because alcoholics hide it so well up to a point, and then they don't like outside the home, they can hide it pretty well. I live next door to um, a family for oh, when I was growing up probably I don't know 19 years they didn't know my dad was Nelky mm-hmm. like <laughs> and you just sort of go how's that possible but that's that's the way it works that outside the home it's very hard mm. to pick the Nelky yeah I'd, I'd agree with that I mean certainly my, my experience of being a son of an alcoholic I would be reluctant to invite friends around to the, mm. to the house <clears throat> not that my dad was a daily drinker he was a binge drinker but it was unpredictable and mm. you just yeah. didn't want to know whereas I, I was predictable it was every every night um i'm certain if you were to ask you know my the partners that i've had and friends and things like that that they might be carefully selecting the time that they invite me to things or or they come to my house and you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> classic so what was the impact on work Oh, um, at the time when I was drinking, I didn't see any impact. I, I'd be quite resentful about other people, but um, about not giving me opportunities or missed opportunities and so on, not realising really that they were, you know, I, I, in my working time, I was, I was really good. It, it was, it was outside my working life. For instance, I, I used to belong to the shop workers union while I was. Uh, once upon a time, I worked for um, one of the supermarkets for about 10 years. And in that time, for about nine years, I was a national rep for the, uh, one of the shop workers unions in the UK. And it was an incredibly responsible position, but very high, I realise now, very uh, high pressure. 
And I was very good at what I did during the day while I was sober. But if you catch me at any event, which I went to many, I I would write myself off in front of all my colleagues and all of the people, you know, my peers and and really humiliate myself. And so I was going for a uh, full time official position which i kept getting shortlisted for in fact 11 times <laughs> now well, you, you'd double think digits. <laughs> you would think I've, i'm a sure thing and i should have been because on paper i looked great what held me back was my activities during you know they could see i was a nightmare you know um i i would be a dribbling mess in a in a, uh, a dinner function or i would be trying to womanize <clears throat> you know drunk yeah with with so I, I would have been a ticking time bomb for them and yeah. and they could see it a mile off and go you know what not this no. time <laughs> <laughs> okay well listen we might take a short break here panoply panorama panpipe pansy aha pansexual knowing no boundaries of sex or gender sound interesting then join sally on sundays at noon for out of the pan all those gender questions making you think too hard? Whether it's transgender, bisexual, polyamorous or beyond, we'll throw those questions into the pan and cook up the answers for you. So go on, push that gender envelope only on 3CR 855am digital and 3cr.org.au. This is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you'd like to listen to one of our many podcasts, uh, you can find us on your preferred podcast platform or just Google 3CR Living Free and check out our website. You can also contact us by phone, email or Twitter. Uh, today I'm talking with Greg and we're talking about compulsive drinking and his recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so Greg, before the break we were talking about the impact on work and life and things like that. So what I really want to talk to you now is about the, I guess, the impact of your drinking on your life mm-hmm. and where, the point you got to where you thought, I need to do something about this. Gosh, um, this, because it's a progressive disease and there was a, a massive amount of denial, um, you know, I, I would have quite comfortably said I was a heavy drinker that just enjoyed drinking no matter how bad each humiliation came along you know and and there were many you know um, <clears throat> uh, the, the, you know the, I, I could just reel off tons where um, either I've I've woken up in a blackout somewhere and uh, you know or I've upset somebody or I've you know um, so you know condensing my life down to drinking at home seemed uh, well, it was it was more cost effective, that's for sure. But it also <laughs> smaller. <laughs> it's much smaller. In my life condensed absolutely. And and but you know, to give you an example, I, I you know the sort of for denial uh, Sunday. You know, I would drink quite quite a lot during the week, uh, but just enough in in the um uh, in in the weekdays I would drink probably half a bottle of uh, scotch, uh, half a liter of scotch, and and lots of marijuana on top if i drunk the liter and not had the marijuana i'm pretty certain my health effects would have come much quicker 
you know, um, my, you know, uh, and deteriorated very quickly. So I was mitigating it, controlling it then, and not really understanding that's what I was doing, you know, subconsciously. But you know, to give you an example, on Sunday morning, I would, I would, you know, wake up and think that I'm going to be very um, sophisticated, and I would go down to the supermarket and I would grab some red wine and some bottles of scotch and then some cheese and crackers and get the Sunday paper and open up the supplements and, you know, at 10:30, this looks, you know, very sophisticated. Reading all the supplements and you know, having a glass of red wine and having cheese and crackers. By, you know, by half one, two o'clock, I've finished both bottles of red wine and I'm now onto the whiskey. And, you know, by eight o'clock, I'm a, I'm a dribbling mess on the, on, the, on the sofa and I've drunk a copious amount. How sophisticated is that? <laughs> you know, but I was, I was in my complete denial that, you know, that's how you spent your Sundays. And it, it was really just making excuses and then enabling me to feel good about something that was really not healthy in the least. Mm. And uh, what was the effect of marijuana on your drinking? Did it kind of go hand in hand? Or? Oh, absolutely. At the beginning, you know, um, you get to, to mix those two together, you will get, you know, what we used to pulling a whitey, we used to call it, which was, you know, <laughs> you'd, you'd go really pale and you'd feel sick and, you know, because because it make your head spin and you'd want to throw up. Um, once you get acclimatized to it you know it's it's quite normal and i used to have friends say how can you do that it just might you know my head will spin and i'll feel sick and i'm like well that's when i know it's working yeah <laughs> that's the that's what i'm trying to get yeah, yeah. yeah. the apex <laughs> uh yeah it's um it's quite funny um you, you were going to ask about the state of mind when you start to drink so do you have a a, a perspective on where it's going to take you at the start and do you ever review it and go, well, did we missed that? <laughs> no, look, I, I think um, my goal was always just to just to get drunk and 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 make sure mm. I had enough uh, alcohol to, to that. achieve that job. Yeah. Um, I knew that if I was out socially, it was better actually for me to not drink and wait till I got home and then just cram it all before bedtime. You know, in an hour or hour and a half. <clears throat> and go to bed late than it was to humiliate myself when I was out. So mm. sometimes I would do the, the white knuckle yep. uh, where I would be on coke or water or whatever it was and not <clears throat> not humiliate myself during that evening if, there was, if there was a task to achieve or, or something to, to do. But you, you can bet your bottom dollar, I, you know, <clears throat> as soon as I got home or back to the hotel or whatever I was doing, it would be drink, drink, drink. It's pretty funny that you say that because I feel like from the perspective of someone who has to kind of strategic, strategically plan their drinking and, you know, this at that time, then I get home and then I cram it all in. In that moment, that might be the wake up call that, OK, this could be something I need to deal with. Absolutely. No, you're right. I mean, uh, for most for most people, that would be the case that they would start to realize that their life was being taken over and they were. Uh, you know, subservient to to the alcohol, but yeah, I, I absolutely wasn't total, complete and utter denial. Even though I came from a, yeah, uh, a knowledge of a drinking yeah. background, and my father had been in AA for a number of years. Did uh, sorry to interrupt. Did any of your uh, drinking habits mirror that of your father's that you can think of? It was different because he was a binge drinker. So I didn't realise in throughout his sort of drinking career, he would. Um, he would be prescribed with Valium, so he could, and this could have increased the periods that, uh, of time between his next yeah. drink, yeah. Uh, and then he would just kind of drop off. For, it could be anything from three days to three weeks, yeah. um, and he was quite a professional man. But when when he let go of things, it was unpredictable. And whereas mine was, you could guarantee that 
yeah, <laughs> by I, eight o'clock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My dad used to come home um, from the pub. We had six o'clock closing back in those days, and he'd arrive mm. home at six o'clock, completely done. <laughs> and we'd sit down to dinner, and there'd be an argument, and he'd not eat his meal. He'd go out to the garage, he'd keep on drinking, he'd come in about eight o'clock, and then all hell would break loose. It was just like it was just a pattern. It was just that was the weekday pattern. And by Sunday, he'd dried out a bit. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it'd all start again. Yeah. That almost mirrors what you were saying about your weekends growing bigger and bigger and, mm-hmm. you know, starting on the Thursday and the Wednesday. And Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So what was the thing that caused you to think, oh, my God, I've got to do something? Okay. So um, during some of my, you know, I probably had a period of about sort of 12 years where my drinking was really particularly bad. And, and, yep. and you know, I could probably count on one hand how many how many weeks I'd not drunk for in that sort of 12 period uh, 12 year period but um what happened was that uh during uh, uh, my now ex wife, yeah. we we went through a period where um we were trying to start a family and you can imagine trying to start a family with a complete drunkard you know mm. every evening I'm wrecked, wrecked by eight o'clock you've got to consummate the marriage to to be able to have the end product of a baby. We went through a number of very unhappy situations where there was miscarriages and so on, and then then the pregnancy took. So we were really happy about this, but I was still in active alcoholism, and so that was a problem that was starting to play on my mind you know what what's life going to look like when the baby comes yeah <clears throat> and we got to about six and a half well, it was about six months and and then we there was a problem with the the pregnancy and uh, about six and a half months in we had to go through stillbirth and that was absolutely traumatic for me mm. so i was in the uh, the hospital room with my wife experiencing that and it was it was dreadful and i was sober mm. through that and but if I if I'm truly honest, you know, that was the wake up call. That was yeah. the where, you know, the fact that 10 to 15 percent of my mind was focusing on the bottle of Glamorangia in the boot of the car that I couldn't wait to dip into. I knew then and there, whatever I thought before, <clears throat> I'm yeah. an alcoholic. There's no question. Yeah. It didn't stop me drinking, by the way. I went on a sort of, uh, I still uh, functional bender, but a, a more uh, it, yeah. in, encouraged me to drink mm. more on and and use the whole sort of experience of, of grief as an excuse that well you would drink if if you had gone through what I had and blah 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 you know. Mm. And I just upped my my intake, which you know started to un- unravel, and I was coming close to uh, my my wife uh, wanting to leave me and starting to see a, a lawyer and so on. Um, and then there was one final night in, in Bristol uh, where we'd been to my, my cousin's wedding, and it'd been a good night, but my wife had sort of, you know, got really belligerent with me, and had been for some time in public. Oh, God, not Greg again, you know, and and really sort of slating me to, to my family, friends, and so on. And some of it I deserved, absolutely. Um, some of it not so much, you know, but uh, it, that's the way the relationship was going. And, and uh, we went back to this hotel room and I scared the bejesus out of her where she had to leave and get a, get a, get a lift from her parents. And I trashed the hotel room. Mm. And it was waking up in that hotel room on my own the <clears> next <throat> morning where I wanted to point the finger at everybody else and life and everything else was at fault and then realised there, no, there was nowhere to run anymore. It was just me. And I was the one who needed to own up and fess up to, you know, where I was at and yeah. what was going on for me. So what did you do? How how did you get help? <laughs> well, 
you know maybe I, you know i wouldn't necessarily recommend you do it this way um <laughs> but look I, I i did i did stop drinking from that point on i didn't instantly go to an aa meeting bearing in mind in my hometown of uh, in somerset there was um uh, I, I knew where aa was i didn't know the exact meetings but i knew my dad attended a few of them and that was also a reason why I wasn't so keen on going straight away. Mm. But probably from that uh, waking up the Sunday morning, it was till the next Saturday that I actually went to a meeting. And I'll be honest, I went in and I'm trying to use my words carefully here so I'm not swearing. I walked in and I thought everybody in there was just, you know, beneath me. Mm. I was pretty arrogant. Um, and <laughs> But I heard what I needed to hear. I heard things that where people were saying, look, you know, they were, they were telling my story in part, but I still had so much uh, disrespect and, and disregard for these people. In fact, the, the person I thought was the biggest <laughs> tool, um, you know, I, I gave you know I, I gave him my number later on, and I but I had so much um, disrespect for him. But the guy phoned me on the Tuesday, the, the, and yeah. at a time where actually I was quite vulnerable, I was in a, a hotel in, in, a, in a restaurant, and I was eating. But I was facing the bar and, and I wasn't necessarily thinking I was going to drink. But I realize now doing this on my own was not the best way. And, and the guy phoned me up and, and within two or three minutes of speaking to him, we met on a level. He didn't become my sponsor, but I will yeah. always be grateful for him, you know, for, for doing that. Yeah. And I feel like your mentality, you know, when you initially got in there relates back to thinking, oh, I'm just a heavy drinker. You know, mm. I'm someone that just enjoys it a little more than your average person. And Oh, <clears throat> I was I was less in denial than than maybe some that I've I've encountered in AA. I knew I, I actually knew that I that was my drinking done. Okay. But what I what <laughs> I went in, um. I'd resigned myself and surrendered myself to something, a life of misery, mm-hmm. because I'd always associated drinking with, you know, uh, celebration and happiness and things like that. It hadn't been happy for many years, many, many years. But in my head, that's what I thought. I thought that, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to miss out on life and mm-hmm. all of these wonderful things. So I'm just going to I'm going to eke out this terrible, miserable existence, lonely, you know, tired and, and just, you know, boring. And just, I'll be honest, and, and apologies to any knitters, I might as well just take up knitting. That's, yeah. as, that's as good as it's going to get. Thankfully, that's not been my experience, but, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what what changed for you? Uh, what, when I came into the rooms? Yeah. Um, I got more humble, for sure. And I was teachable. I... I um, the people I originally came in and, and were, were very dismissive of it, I realized that from my first meeting, uh, when, I, when I was looking around the room and even I was hearing my story and I was still dismissive of these people, when they tried to close the meeting, I suddenly got terrified. And I went, mm. oh, you can't close this meeting. You can't, wh- what am I going to do? Wh- 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 you know, you, you've got to give me some information, some help, you know. And they just calm down, just, just stick around after the meeting, get some numbers, talk to some people. And I was suddenly hit with this terror um the people who thankfully who are around me and i spoke to one of them last night a lovely guy called anthony who's uh, is godfather to to my children um he was one of the the first people in my home group that, that helped me a, a lovely man that if you put him next to the drinker that he was the picture of the yeah. drinker that he was <laughs> and the man he is now they're unrecognizable they're yeah. just you know mm. totally different people but there's a there was a humility and a calm and just a, a, a you know something that I really wanted to follow. 
he didn't again he didn't become my sponsor but you know there was all these people in my in my story in my of, of my recovery that i've i've listened to and i've gathered closer to me and i was told stick with the winners mm-hmm. you know it's not that other people who don't get it straight off are losers it's just you want the best chance of success stick with the people who've done it you know yeah, absolutely yeah. Yeah. and um what about those feelings of kind of community uh mm. for dealing with the self-isolation and mm. um you know i have to do this all on my own what did that do for you look you know uh, that original I, I was when i was getting sober i was also my job was to travel the whole of the uk um and teach in different different locations and you know that worried me a little bit where whereas you know being in the sense of community in a country well it's a major country town probably the size of ballarat there's a few meetings there but it's not every night but my father came along and he was delighted by the way that i went to aa you know it was like oh by the way dad i'm an alcoholic you're kidding <laughs> we all knew that <laughs> no kidding. um and he gave me a book called where to find which gave me all the meetings i mean nowadays you can get it on on uh, i think it's called aa times on, online yep. so mm-hmm. yep. that's wonderful but back in the day you yeah. you know you had it in this little sort of uh, little book and this little green book called where to find and it was updated every year and i would and he said you've got i know you're traveling the country and you're going mm. to different places but you've got wow. no excuse but yeah. to go to a meeting you're on your own yeah, mm. that's right. so here's the here's the book go find them and i didn't do 1990 as is has been um uh, suggested to many people and i suggest to any sponsors that i deal with but i did as many as i could i could get to feasibly and yeah. hold down a full-time job yeah. yeah yeah that's good okay listen we might have another short break we need to keep radical voices on air Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Don't have a million dollars and still want to have a good education for your kid? Tune into the Dogs Program. We are the defenders of government schools. 12pm on Saturdays here on 3CR. 855 and AM Dial podcast streaming live on 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital. We defend government schools because they need it. Okay, we're back. Uh, This is the Living Free Show on 3CR Digital Radio. Live streaming on 3cr.org.au and today we're talking with Greg about compulsive drinking and his recovery through Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, so Greg, before the break we were talking about coming into AA and changing, you know, realising that change was necessary. <laughs> so do you want to talk a little bit about, I guess, uh, as you progressed in AA, that the things you found that were important mm-hmm. and also the impact of COVID, how that how that affected your um, the fellowship and I guess um, your experience of recovery, and then sort of lead on to what it's like now and how how it's changed your life. Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, there's so many things that are important, but I think uh, you know, being uh, investing yourself in part of a meeting and recovery and and, and to the community itself and a bit of service. Um, you know, whether it's just sort of uh, washing the dishes every time you go to a meeting and showing a lot of respect. There was, for me, there was a few things that were basic, and they still are basic today that I, I do, which is that you have this little yellow card called, um, I don't know, my mind's gone blank, um, uh, just for today. Yep. Just for today card, which 
it's like a list of instructions for idiots on how to uh, how to behave. Um, it's it's fantastic, and you know it's it's everything from um, you know showing respect to to people and yourself, um, and trying not to criticise where necessary. You know, necessary. Yeah. And one of the things was um, <clears throat> do something do something nice for somebody without taking taking credit for it um if you do create take credit for it you know it doesn't, it doesn't matter yeah. and i used to think oh my gosh i must give 50 pounds to a homeless person or something like that and they're going no you know you don't have to be grandiose you could let somebody in in traffic mm. yeah. they don't know you they don't care yeah. you know you, you've you've maybe helped somebody or you might change the toilet roll in a public toilet mm. and nobody else knows you did it but you've been somebody else has benefited from your action yeah you've made the world slightly more positive you do enough of those it all adds up but you're not taking credit for it yeah how did it make you feel when you would do things like that um it, it takes practice because I was a selfish git, I'll be honest, you know, um, and and very self-centered. So it takes practice and, I, and it's something that comes easier these days. But sometimes I need to I need to uh, remind myself in the day, you know, and, and another thing that I, I struggled with because, you know, um, when things aren't going your way and things are. You know, maybe the day goes catastrophically wrong. There's a few things to 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 bear in mind. A, you can restart your day anytime you like. You know, and sure. and just you know, draw a line under it and say, I will behave this way as I move forward. You might have to do that. I mean, in, in the early days, I had to do that several times a day. But um, press the reset button. That's right. <laughs> yeah. it's again, again, right. again. Um, the other thing is. You know, I wake up in the morning, I make the commitment, uh, you know, after making my bed that I will stay sober today and that I will not drink today. No matter how good or bad or catastrophic the day has been, if my head hits the pillow sober, I've succeeded. Hmm. You know? How does that reset button give you ownership over your life day to day? Um, it means that I, for the vast majority of the time, I don't carry... You know, I could I can draw a line under my day and then try and take a deep breath and move into and, and deal with situations in a, in a more adult and careful and considered manner than, you know, I might have reacted and thrown my toys out the pram and behaved really badly and insulted everybody and, you know, um, and, and acted out. It's not to say in a sobriety I haven't done that. Of course mm. I have. But, you know, <clears throat> you try uh, you, you, you try to live a particular way consistently. But, you know, life's. A roller coaster. Yeah, you know. life's life. Yeah. Um, so, what was the impact of COVID on the fellowship and your recovery? Um, for me, I, 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 I there was a one one word that um, you know seemed to be synonymous with COVID: pivot. Mm. Yeah. So pivot to to make that you know make that work for you. And and uh, I do service at a particular meeting in Glen Waverley, and we we pivoted to become um, an on, online meeting. And we had a great deal of success. We went from, you know, having probably somewhere between 15 and 20 people uh, face to face to sometimes 50 people mm. from around, right around the world. Yeah. And some of my friends from the UK even dipped yeah. into our meetings. <laughs> I would say the challenge was learning the technology, you know, getting um, uh, getting Zoom bombers who are either sort of just sending just vile stuff or we had some really interesting ones that would just flash the boobs or, yeah. you know, mm. and you just kind of, whoa, okay, that's strange, <laughs> but okay. But, you know, once we figured that stuff out, it became easier. And, and there are still people who 
like either the, the online or hybrid. And, and I, I reminded myself that, you know, when I was a kid looking at how uh, outback children, you know, you'd learn about yeah, how outback yeah. children in, in, in Australia learn how to go to school. They would do it on uh, the, the radio yeah. mm-hmm. and listen to their teacher that way. And mm-hmm. they're sitting in the kitchen table learning. Well, why can't we do? And we did that. We pivoted. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, having a lack of a face-to-face connection in the mm-hmm. meetings, did that affect you at all? Did it feel different? Uh, to some degree, and I think, you know, <clears throat> as a temporary arrangement, it was fine. It was great. But there was always the intent that you're going to go back face-to-face. Some people um, struggled with it. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, that I think, you know, going back to the to the, uh, the analogy of, of kids learning um, in, uh, th- that's their only medium to, to learn mm. education you know, and, uh, in, in, through, through a radio in the outback. Some people, that was their only opportunity to get sober and stay sober. And you either dive in and embrace that or you mm. don't and you, you know, you struggle for quite a while. And I think there's a few people who did that. There's, uh, and I think that, you know, it's horses for courses. Though. Some people love mm. face-to-face. <clears throat> Some people... Yeah. You know, I, I I can take either. I can take either, but I still would need face to face at some point. Mm, yeah. So um, talking about your life now, so could you could you live? Do you think, looking back, you know, ten, twenty years, whatever, that you would be happy and relaxed without drinking alcohol? Did you think that could ever happen? Oh, look, yes and no. As I say, in the, in, in the beginning, I just thought I was surrendering to a life of misery and, you know, just I'll do this, but I'm not going to be happy about it. Mm. Um, and thankfully, that hasn't been my experience. But, um, you know, I, I knew that people could do it. I mean, as I said, my, my friend Anthony, he's, he's a, a fantastic example. Uh, um, my father, you know, was a fantastic example, although, you know, not always the most cheerful, but... Um, we we really it, it took a long time to to uh, reconcile our, our differences but we did and and i'm blessed because of aa mm. and and <clears throat> I, I got you know 29 plus years of his presence within my life because he got sober yeah. um i promise he would have died after two years um if if he'd carried on drinking because he he, mm. he was smoking 60 a day and he had a massive heart attack mm. so if he'd not stopped drinking <laughs> i would never have seen that side to him yeah um so for me you know i'm very lucky i've um i've used my time well but living life on life's term you're going to get the the, you're going to get the good with the bad and i've i've been lucky enough to to have two wonderful children who i'm i I dearly love Mm. and i um and they've never seen me drink which is which is wonderful i've got a, a good career i now have a nice girlfriend although i've been through a divorce um I've been through job problems. I've had all sorts of challenges, you know, people, uh, friends and family who've passed away. And that's just life stuff. But, I, you know, I haven't turned to my default, which is drinking. Hmm. Um, I've, I've chosen the better path. That's not to say I navigate it well all the time. Hmm. But, you know, I have people <clears> around <throat> me who help me. So my sponsor, other people in my, my group and, and, and people I... Um, uh, people I will phone and, and look for support, and, and people I sponsor as well. So it's it's always a you know having that community around me is really important. Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. Yes. And um, speaking of your children, how are you going to approach, if at all, 
when they get to an age and sharing the wisdoms and <laughs> stories that you've been through uh, for their experiences? Um, we already, I mean, because my son is 13 and my daughter's 11 and, you know, they, they, they know daddy had a bit of a... A bit of a, a raucous past. Um, they don't know the, the, the ins and outs. But, you know, they've heard some stories. Um, and it's very different. The, the, the world, not just me, but the mm. world then looks very different now. Mm. And so <clears throat> reconciling that that is always difficult. But they've never known me drink. Um, my, my girlfriend drinks. But, I mean, if she has more than two glasses of, of, of wine a week, that's probably a lot. So, you know, she, they get to see that healthy mm. that healthy side. But Dad just doesn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> which is good. Yeah, which is really good. Um, so what do, you, what do you say to somebody who was like you mm-hmm. who didn't think they had a drinking problem? Oh, look, I mean, you can advocate for people coming in the rooms, and, and, and I have on, on many occasions, um, but it, you, you, have to have, you have to have the right man, the mindset to hear what's being said to you. So You've got to have the want to. Yeah, yeah you know, and you, you want to hear it. I, I had, I'm, I, you know, I'd say that I didn't hear it, but I'm sure it was said many times that, Greg, you've got a bit of a problem. You, you drink too much. You, are, you, are you okay? You know, that kind of thing. And so when I told people, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm attending AA now, you know, they're kind of like, oh, about bloody time, Greg. Yeah. You know, what's the... <clears throat> oh, we were, we were worried for you there. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God. And, and my parents were more than anybody. And yeah. they were like, oh, thank God. Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, I, I used to say that I was lucky that I'd, I'd come from coming into AA uh, and and getting and getting sober, I've never had a, a drink since. It's not luck. I, I've, I've had my sponsor <clears throat> sort of tell me off at the early age. And he's going... It's not yeah, luck. No. You, 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 a, you were ready to hear it, mm. and b, you worked hard for it. Mm. And I think that's true. It's mm. not that other people are lazy or making excuses or anything. Like that. They're just not ready. Mm. And and that sometimes the people come in and out of the rooms like a revolving door. It's painful to watch, but they're just but, not ready. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Uh, if anybody would like to find out more about Alcoholics Anonymous, you can phone them in Australia on one three hundred triple two triple two or jump online at aa.org.au for more information on recovery and the available meetings. So that's about all we've got time for today. So I'd like to thank Greg for sharing his alcoholism recovery story with us and sharing about and talking about how Alcoholics Anonymous has helped in his recovery. Thanks. My pleasure. I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when Anne will be talking about recovery from food addiction with Ree from Overeaters Anonymous. Coming up next, we've got Balamois, the Spirit of War, hosted by Uncle Telgum Choco Edwards. Join Uncle Choco in the Spirit of War on a journey of belonging and movement through sing-alongs and yarns. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay tuned now for more Radical Radio on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.